Welcome to the Sparrow Hangout, where we talk all things spearfishing, freediving, and foraging. We're three guys from Devon in the UK who are excited to share some of the learnings from our spearfishing journey with you over the coming episodes. We bring in some special guests along the way to help spread some in-depth spearing knowledge from some of the most experienced people in the scene. Hey, hey. how's it going, boys? Hey, buddy, how are you? Yeah, good, man. Evening. How are we doing? Oh, I've forgotten who you two are. <laughs> I haven't seen you in ages. Really been two weeks. Oh yeah, no, you weren't there that episode, were you? No, no, no. I was, I was uh, saving some poor public person from a burning Mercedes ML three twenty. You are so such a hero, mate. I am. I wasn't fishing and trying to beat you in the competition like you both said, you fuckers. Thank you. Every- sorry, sorry. I should mind my language because I know that we've got children watching. Every- yeah. Every- everyone said that was the best episode yet without you in it. Yeah, but that's because everyone fell asleep. It just sent them all to sleep listening to Richard and Ben's boring voices. Nobody got turned on at all. Turned on. <laughs> <laughs> oh god uh, how you boys been doing obviously no one's been getting in but what yeah no just... weather's been crap hasn't it although um yeah yep. we obviously the competition's finished and um yeah, we had a chance to, to chat about that last week um with the delay oh, yeah, of the podcast true. so congratulations richard yeah congrats to you too mate fourth place mate that's that's awesome well done thanks so what was it fourth for rich fifth for ben ninth for me yeah, all, all yeah, top all ten. Top 10 yeah, it's good, eh? Especially you, lads. First year spearfishing, bloody hell, fair play. No, yeah. it was really good. There was, um, yeah, EastEnders type drama um, <laughs> throughout, but re- really, really good competition. And um, yeah, I think I think we're probably going to end up doing a competition between our own little friendship circle next year. And uh, it was a really good format. Um, I, the thing I enjoyed most about the comp really was our little friendly competition between us. Like, yeah, that was really definitely. cool. Yeah. Hashtag fans. Yes. <laughs> but, but yeah, it's, it's it's a great way of like it's been my best season yet. I mean, it definitely pushes you to get like try new ground, try get new species. And yeah, definitely. It's been it's been my best year yet, hundred percent. Good. It's been my best year yet. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's We've great, been, we, we, Ben. Didn't you catch? We you're over a year now. Uh, yeah, so I caught my first fish back in August, uh, over a year ago. So, yeah, nice. Nice start to my then. first year, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I started play, in October, man. yeah. So, and now, now we've got some vouchers for start point, yeah. It's, it's pretty cool. I, I, what I really liked about that competition is it, I think, last year, I didn't really know what I was doing, but you know only had like a pollock and a bass and that was that was kind of it whereas this year I've caught so many different i think we've got this was it 16 species in the end something like that which i just really nice. i didn't think it was even possible like there's people kind of um downplay and um just don't don't really realize how abundant and how diverse the seas are in in our area i, I mm. think it's amazing yeah. that we can you know and and you know we we didn't have the most different species did we i think some of them must have had 18 20 different species um so yeah it's a, a great competition format and i learned a hell of a lot um yeah super. definitely but well done yeah, there. that was really good nicely done well, nicely done looking forward to next year well in fact actually i'm looking forward to winter 
Because I remember diving over winter last year. The difficulty, like you were saying a second ago, was the weather we've had recently. Mm. Last year, so I'd gone on the trip with the go free diving guys and done the free diving training in early mid September. Mm-hmm. And then I just remember getting back and being in the water like two or three times a week. Yeah. And that's why then I began to lead this spear fishing comp because I was in so often because I was frothing, like you guys say about it. Yeah. But like the last three weeks, the weather has just been absolute trash. It's been awful. And, <laughs> it's and just... the amount of sewage being pumped into the seas right now with all the rain we've had, it's just, it's atrocious, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I just said to the missus, I was like, she said to me, because um, clearly when I don't go spearfishing for a while, I clearly uh, have a bit of a mood. Issue. <laughs> I, I said that to you the other, the other day didn't yeah. I? she said to me you could tell when you haven't been diving for a while but the thing is i don't want to go diving at the minute because of all the sewage and i don't want to get a nasty ear infection like i had no. you know back in september so but haven't you just got yeah. an over covid as well for yeah, the 17th time <laughs> yeah yeah literally got it again so yeah oh. anyway is what it is you, that's because i've not been spearfishing yeah how's the new job been- you've just started a new job right yeah, all good, mate. They haven't let me have every day off yet to go spearfishing, so <laughs> not going too well. You, you, you just need to work loads and earn all of that time off. You'll be fine. We'll get the boat out. It'll be good. Mm-hmm. So uh, so this week we got a bit something a bit different, really. We've got a guest on who's one of the premier game chefs in the country. Um, but yeah, I'm really looking forward to this one. He's, uh, it's going to be quite interesting. Yeah, me too. Mm. I don't think we've had a chef on yet, have we? And I, we're all pretty pretty keen cooks certainly not chefs um, yeah so it'd be really uh really nice to speak to a professional hopefully pick up a, a few tips on the way and who who is it we've got on because i don't think i know him uh so we've got mike robinson on who's literally one of the best chefs in the uk when it comes to game cooking and w- um, w- when i say i don't know him i'm geeking the fuck like <laughs> i think i've watched every single youtube video that he's ever done and i watched everything of him being involved in joe pk so i'm uh yeah kind of starstruck but very excited looking forward to get him on it's gonna be an awesome episode man let's get cool. him on shall we hello mike Good. welcome to the show thank hello, you mike. so much it's great to be here yeah no it's, it's fantastic to have you on I was uh, I was very surprised when Mike said your name after I've watched quite a lot of you on YouTube. So, <laughs> but, uh, excuse me if I get that whole um, what is it celebrity stage fright thing. But, uh, <laughs> I've watched you quite a bit, so it's good to talk to you. And Mike, yeah, do you want to give we... us a little yeah, a bit of an introduction into into who you are? Obviously, we see yeah. you quite a bit on. I don't on really YouTube. know what I do, if I'm honest. <laughs> <laughs> So, so um, start with your name, um, wh- wh- where you're from, where you're living, um, and kind of a little bit about what you do, even though it's, I guess it's many things. Yeah. So I'm my name's Mike Robinson. I live in uh, Gloucestershire in the Cotswolds. And um, so pretty much as far from the sea as you can get. Yeah. Um, I, I, I have a number of hats that I wear in life. I'm a restaurateur and a chef, so I own four restaurants. And they all specialise in wild oh. food, wild sustainable food. Nice. Um and uh, I also own a business that uh, called Deerbox that manages and uh, harvests wild venison, wild deer over about 60,000 acres of southern England. And uh, we have a factory for venison and all that. And I also make uh, four television programs for the American Outdoor Network every year. You're a busy uh, guy. Four, four 10-part programs. Um, 
which is what's led me into the world of spearfishing and has made me now obsessed and is another hobby I can't afford the time or money to do, but <laughs> it's there now. So, um, yeah. And so it's been a journey, but more and more now I see some, I see that sort of half my, half my year is going to be spent in the water and half my year is going to be spent with a rifle in the woods. Great. <laughs> Awesome. not a bad life to live <laughs> even if it is busy so four four programs 10 episodes each that's, that's like nearly one a week right so yeah we we have a slot on the outdoor network which is a fairly main main channel in the u.s um i think about 25 million people have it in the u.s wow and um <clears throat> Christ. And we occupy a, a 7 p.m slot on a monday night every week 42 weeks of the year um and uh and um you know it, it's been five years in the making but these shows it's the shows the main show is called farming the wild which basically documents what we do with our restaurants which is harvesting sustainable wild food i'd be it rabbits be it squirrels be it deer be it mushrooms nettles crayfish whatever and then using them in the restaurants um so we're trying to use very sustainable ingredients um, and then that that then led on to me thinking, well, hang on a minute, you know, and I'm talking to Outdoor Channel and I'm saying, well, would you would you do you want to do like a, a fishing version of it, a sea version of it? So obviously, fishing the wild was cool. born, and that is now. Um, and at the same time, I met um, I met a guy, um, a couple of Spiros who really took me under their wing and taught me a lot, like Joe Pike and um, a guy called Dan Mann, and we. Yeah. Uh, and so those two, um, those two guys have really taught me a lot, and <clears throat> and so we do. A, they're in the show a lot, so we do we do a lot with them. So um, Joe's taught me a lot of the spots I'm down in Devon. I bought a boat, another expense I can't afford. <laughs> uh, a rib, which has currently got a punctured tube and a bent oh, rod. No, yeah, yeah. Oh no way! And um, but you know what? It's been a journey and. I've learned so much. I mean, like as a 50 odd year old man, um, who's reasonably fit. I, I found that I found, I found it devastatingly frustrating and hard when I first started, yeah. like <laughs> yeah. so frustrating, like, you know, you dive 10 feet, three or four meters underwater and your brain's saying, get up, get up. You're going to die. <laughs> yeah. and, and I discovered that I'm also, I'm not overly fat, but I'm very buoyant. So <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the club. <laughs> no, actually, actually, my, my nickname's Bob. <laughs> <laughs> what led you into the, the spearfishing? Is it because it's got so many similarities to yeah, above water it, hunting? You know, it really you nailed it. For me, I'm a I'm a, I'm a sort of um, a fairly primal hunter by nature. Like I like like in fact, I got back from stalking deer about forty minutes ago, and Amazing. I'm out again, and I'm out again at six thirty tomorrow morning. Um, wow. Because we've got to manage these problems, these herds. It's but a it's busy the time same, of year. It's the same field craft, right? There's so yeah. many similarities with um, whether you decide you're going to be mobile, whether you're going to wait. The difficulty is with deer stalking, you can breathe when you like. You know, mm. that's the easy thing yeah, about it. Yeah. And so the um, <clears throat> I've been doing it for two years and I'm fairly obsessed. In fact, I'm, you know, that we may well end up doing a dedicated show for that for over there on on the subject because it's i just think it makes phenomenal television i think the whole story mm -hmm. of 
foraging, hunting, underwater hunting. It's not just spearfishing, but every free diving for as a way of getting food. Mm. You know, um, be it using a lobster hook, be it finding, um, be it finding the right sea vegetables to accompany what you've caught. It's just fascinating, and and the problem with fishing television is you you're above the surface, looking at the surface of the water, waiting <laughs> yeah. to happen. So true, yeah. Even then, though, it's quite compelling viewing. I, I remember when Very. I was younger watching, um, was it um, what the singers called? They used to do like Ross and Jerome. Yeah, yeah, they used yeah, to do a, a fishing show, didn't they? There's, um, yeah, there's a few, few right. of those that I remember like watching with, with my old man. Um, and it was, yeah, like you're just watching a, a bit of water and maybe the rod, like, you know, bending every now and again. Still compelling. Most of the time. But yeah, underwater fishing, just um, com- completely different. Can we watch it anywhere? In this country, so like you can on... um, fishing the wild. You can watch on. <clears throat> so the Outdoor Channel have sold the program to a lot of countries around the world as right. on their own networks, but they have a streaming service called MOTV mm-hmm. um, and uh, My Outdoor Television, and um, there you can do that's like you know, eight bucks a month or something, and you can watch all of their content. And um, and we also to accompany those, we make two shows. We make one on. One called uh, Wild Game Masterclass, where we, in chef's white, stand there and we, in a restaurant environment, and we teach the viewer how to cook a, a an ingredient all the way through with side dishes, a turbot, a, a thing and awesome. that one. But then we do Wild Fish Masterclass, where we're doing, so the other day I salt baked a bass that we'd shot, uh, you know, off, off uh, uh, an unnamed spot off Durban. <laughs> mm. <laughs> <laughs> and And... Um, you know, so I'm trying to build it in more and more and more. And certainly this season of Fishing the Wild, half of it's underwater, like literally. Brilliant. Um, and I think for the viewer, that's it's it's versus your deer stalking and stuff. Like you were saying, it's, it's, it's a, a similar type of hunting in that you need quite a, you know, a lot of thought process into it. But it's also being underwater. It's a completely different world. And on camera... Yeah. I don't think, even the forests of Canada, I, d- I just don't think anything comes close to the footage that you can get underwater. Yeah. It's just, it's alien. And it's different as well, isn't it? Like, people don't see it every day. Like, people walk through forests every day. That's quite a normal mm. thing to yeah. do. But to go through, like you say, a, a kelp forest or, you know, like these rocky mm. structures that just wouldn't exist above land, it's, it's different. I mean, mm. we went out in we went out at the end of July to the Azores, and um, yeah, cool. I took Joe, and I was right out of my depth, if you'll forgive the pun, because it was like <laughs> I, was, I could maybe do 12 meters or something. Yeah. Whereas, you know, Joe's like a seal. So we could, um, <laughs> so, so um, we went, we did some close in stuff. I mean, it was super cool. Like, I mean, petrifying jellyfish, I've got to say. I got absolutely, <laughs> yeah. I got absolutely rogered by a jellyfish smack in the face. Oh, and, no. Luckily, it wasn't Portuguese man of war, um, but they were everywhere. And um, but yeah, I, I, it's going to make great television. I'm swimming around through all these jellyfish, and my wetsuit hood rode up like this, and one went wow straight across, and it was like being shot in the head, like with a spear gun. It was like oh, so I erupt out the water like a shark, like a fat <laughs> shark, and get into the boat. And Joe, the cameraman's crying with laughter. And it, 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 like, <laughs> things like someone's painted it on my face the marks and 
getting worse and worse. And I remember reading that you need vinegar for it or, or worst case, urine. We, yeah. So I had to pee in my mask and flash <laughs> it all over my face, nice. uh, which is going to make a good TV. And, and do you know what? It worked. Yeah. Um, yeah, 10 minutes later, I didn't feel anything. No, way. I also was an urban legend. Oh, it no, smelled no. a bit funny. Who cares? Um, <laughs> <laughs> man trip, you know. Yeah. So, but what was cool about the Azores was all the different spaces and the different underwater structures. It was phenomenal. But when we went, when we went to the big grown-up places, which are the offshore pinnacles, like mm. uh, the Rosage Bank and this other place I forgot the name of, which was sixty miles out to sea. Wow. Yeah. But the pinnacle was at forty-three meters, and but you, you got off, and once all the recreational scuba divers had buggered off um we're, we're looking down and there's manta rays everywhere there's wahoo jetting around there's clouds of barracuda and then there's these amber jacks that are like you know you, you look down and you think oh it's just it's that big and then so in the last drop of the day joe got down and he got he had to get down to about three meters above this pinnacle so he went to about 30 33 34 35 meters oh, yeah. And he swam down through all the, we've got it all on camera. He swam through all these manta rays and he gets down and there's these amber jacks and you think, yeah, and he, you know, shoots one in the head and, and then let's go of the gun, you know, and, and it's on a massive, great um, bungee to the surface. And I'm watching from 110 feet above and he comes up and I say, I've got it, but I don't know what it, how big it is. And he as soon as you felt it, you just knew this was this thing was a lump. And um, and when he comes up, he's coming up, and he's coming up through manta rays to come to the surface. I mean, it's it, it is. You're right. When you say it's like you, you don't see it on land, you don't see it on land. And when you add hunting for food into that wild equation, mm-hmm. it just it's just something epic. I mean, it's it's so watchable, you know. Yeah. And it was it weighed like forty kilos, so it wasn't a small. <laughs> <laughs> just a small car yeah. <laughs> it was, there's, there's something very primal about spearfishing there isn't there um you know it's it's what a lot of us enjoy is because when you go out you just forget everything don't you and you just focus on as you say your safety but on the other hand trying to hunt um so there's that mixture of free diving and hunting and yeah it's just it's it's one of the best ways of de-stressing that i found listen it's it, it reminds me very much of deer's talking but it's more intense so yeah you know, you're dead right you can't think of anything else you're, you're thinking of the mark you're thinking of what's under us you know can i go down there i mean there's a couple of spots off i, I go and join joe and go off south devon mostly i go off mm-hmm. sulcombe or plymouth and um so i've got to know it quite well i mean i've done a couple of dozen trips and you know the kelp forest the bays where the lobsters are and it's, it's you know i find one of the coolest things is hunting sleepy bass in kelp forests yeah mm-hmm. yeah just swimming along above them looking for those blue backs in the kelp and trying to figure out if you if you can get in without them seeing you and it, it reminds me a lot of deer stalking um mm. and going back to game obviously i mean you were saying earlier on that you have you've four restaurants so you've got to be a, a, pr- a pretty prominent game chef um, for the listeners out there that don't know what game is, obviously it's, it's outside yeah. of um, spearfishing. But what is game, um, and you know what 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 is it different versus the the meat and stuff that you can buy from Sainsbury's or Tesco's or any other brand of supermarket? 
<laughs> so get wild game is effectively any legal edible form of wild protein like um like you know to me a game is anything can be a rabbit can be a hare can be one of the six species of wild deer we have in this problem to give you a quick pricey of it there's they only there were only ever two indigenous species of deer in britain and then in the victorian era four more got introduced and now we're overrun and during the pandemic the deer mm -hmm. numbers in britain which were already at the highest they've ever been ever since roman times um have doubled because all the guys who bought the unlike, unlike spearfishing where you you can't sell a spearfish fish because it's recreational you're doing it for recreation mm -hmm. you're not doing it commercially However, um, we we can sell uh, wild deer, wild game, etc., to a pro, to a licensed processor and all that to go in the public food chain. Why you should eat it is because it's doing the, the numbers are now so great that they're doing, causing actual quite large amounts of environmental harm. The the numbers of deer are devastating the understory and woodlands. They're causing agricultural damage. They're reducing biodiversity, and so. But also on the flip side, healthiest, best protein you can eat. From an ethical mm -hmm. point of view, had the best life, never been farmed. Um, has, just like a bass that you guys will go out and shoot, it's had a wicked life until it's all over. And <laughs> uh, and it's all over like that, you know. So to and me, if, it's the best protein. If I wanted to go in, well, I don't have a gun, so that might be the first thing to do. But let's say I did have a gun and I wanted to go and shoot a deer in, in the woods, you know, up, up the track from me. Can I what are the kind of legalities of it like how how does that side of things work first part's the hardest having a gun right mm. it's not a gun you either have, there's two types of firearm there's a rifle and a shotgun uh -huh. a shotgun fires a spread of pellets and it's for birds yeah uh, a rifle is a is a single projectile goes very fast and accurately that's what you have to use for deer to get a license to own a rifle is very hard you have to have experience you have to have landowners consent you have to it's it, the police check you every which way for public safety and things like yeah, that. Yeah. And then you have to have landowner's permission and then you have to know what to do with it once you've shot it. <laughs> what do you do um, with, once you've shot it then? Bleed it, gut it, um, yeah. get it back to our dear larder, get it in the chiller. Yeah. Um, and then it goes into a very, very rigid process. It gets labelled. Um, uh, at that point, it's like an abattoir killed um, stock animal. No different. Right. Um, but we're, we manage 60-odd thousand acres and we're shooting 1,200 a year. You know, it's a... It's quite a thing. Yeah. And yeah. my restaurants only eat a tiny amount of that. We sell the rest. Mm -hmm. And what you were saying a second ago, in the, in that there's two species of deer that were um, sort of natural in the UK and then there's been four more brought in. And you were saying about shotguns, pheasants. I don't know whether a lot of our listeners will know much about pheasants, but pheasants, I believe, aren't indigenous UK species no, at all. No, they're from the Caucasus originally mm. and with pheasant obviously you you would name well normally use a, a shotgun um you know and go on a hunt but the pheasants are bred at specific times of year and we were talking just before we came on air about the whole bird flu pandemic that's going on at the moment but do you do much in terms of pheasants because the one thing that i don't see a lot of is 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 pheasants on sort of restaurant menus and i love pheasant look they're delicious they're incredibly hard to cook from a restaurant perspective they dry out the minute you look at them. So, <laughs> yeah. so and when you that's all right at home because you can bring it out and serve it instantly. In a restaurant perspective, you're you're having to, you know, as soon as once the starters have gone, you put the mains on to cook or whatever. You know, it's all rigid timings and things have to rest. And pheasants are really they do we do sell them. Um but they're difficult. 
and mm. they don't sell very well. The public aren't massive fans of pheasant. Um, on the other hand, venison, I'd put it on any menu and it's the biggest seller instantly. It's got a good name, mm. yeah. What about things That's... like pigeons and I mean, squirrels? Amazing. And... We sell, sell millions of wood pigeons. They're yeah. a beautiful, again, an agricultural menace in too yeah. large numbers. Um, exceptionally delicious, very healthy meat. And we sell tons of them. Um, See, I've never understood the hate for pit. Well, not, not hate, but the <laughs> um, the culling of pigeons versus the non-culling and protection of seagulls. I still don't understand how those well, sky rats a, haven't been. Kind of worms you don't want to go into. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I really like pigeons. I think they're really cute, but also really tasty, and I've got no problem with eating them. But um, uh, it's just... I can, uh, to clarify that, I really like wood pigeons. To eat. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> so not the normal grey London not, pigeons. Not the ones that you get in towns, because an animal is what it eats. And yeah. the ones in town <laughs> eat the same as rodents in town. You know, they... Um, well, most, of the, most of the pigeons I know are, are obviously uh, Greg's, because they get fed Greg's. <laughs> <laughs> Whereas Which your, means they should taste really good. <laughs> your actual wood pigeon, Columba Columbus, is a very, very, very beautiful, delicious, noble bird, glorious colourings. But the problem is they're highly prolific. They can breed twice a year. Um, they can, uh, they, 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 you know, you get two and a half thousand descending on a barley crop in the summer and they can strip hundreds of tons of grain out of a field. Yeah, you Christ. know. So the, the same rules apply for, for pigeons, you know, shotgun license, need landowner's permission, all that kind of stuff. Shotgun license is a lot easier to get than a rifle license. Yeah. Mm. Um, yeah. And then you just need landowner's permission. But God, they're mm. good doing. But I mean, <laughs> I, I I tell you a bit like um, you know having got into spearfishing has given me a a newfound respect for um, the ingredient. Just like when I take top chefs out who buy venison off us, one you know the, the same guy who will be like, I want every saddle to be within two hundred grams. I want this. I want this. You take them out to shoot a deer and you drag them through the mud and make them gut it and do all this stuff. And afterwards, they're just so grateful to have it. You know, they, they, yeah. they, it changes their opinion. The under exploring the underwater realm has has really reinforced that opinion to me as a, as a chef and a restaurateur. You know, just how fragile and valuable it is. I mean, we went filming uh, to the west coast of Scotland to Ullapool, and we dragged my boat six hundred miles up there in uh, in like uh, I think it was in September, late September. And you know, Joe and I were super excited to jump on the on the rib and go out and go and hopefully shoot some big pollock because we thought there'd be loads of pollock. Man, I didn't see a pollock over that. Oh, and wow. it turned out that about fifteen years ago, um, I think the Scottish government sold the licenses for fishing to various Russian fishing fleets and whatnot. Mm. Anyway, for and and literally the, the west coast, that part of the west coast of Scotland in fish terms, hasn't recovered. I mean, this very... I went to the fishmonger in Ullapool and said, can I have some? Can I have a nice big pollock, please? Oh, I haven't got any pollock. I was like, oh, you're a fishing port. He was like, I haven't got any pollock. I was like, okay, what have you got? Have you got any cod? No, I haven't got any cod. What have you got? Have you got any sardines? I haven't got any sardines. Mackerel? Oh, no, they can't get mackerel at the moment. <laughs> and I was like, where have these fish come from? He said, we bought them from the East Coast. Oh, really? And, and they've... So the only we found Pollock, but we found them under a terrifying ten meter high cliff, <laughs> six foot wave smashed on it, <laughs> the drop off, and we were diving down there, and that was cool because there was salmon swimming around, waiting to yeah. go up the rivers. Um, 
But yeah, Joe got a couple of nice pollock to cook and we left the rest. But um, what was amazing up there were the scallops, the, the diving for scallops. Mm. Yeah, we've we, we, we just done the uh, the tour, uh, excluding Richard, um, which was a shame, but we just did a, a tour over the Isle of Skye. And uh, oh, that was amazing. in late, late September. I wasn't dragging a boat, but I was dragging a Dave. Um, <laughs> I, I don't know which one I'd prefer to drag, to be honest. Um, but yeah, we went out there for three days and the Pollock we caught there. I mean, they, they good, were they? absolutely humongous. Um, All right, well, I'll have to quiz your brains on that. We'll go there next time. Yeah, gotcha. <laughs> I mean, it was, I think Lawrence caught, it was gutted, so it was seven and a half pound, but ungutted, it was easily a nine pound. Oh, we brilliant. caught at least 10 other, um, you know, six to eight pounders. Um, that was shore diving, was it? No, off a boat, but oh. within the shore. It was basically, the boat was just getting us to, the, yeah. uh, the the sort of the pinnacles and the, and the headlands, um, but as soon as we dove down, we were within ten meters of of the rocky face um, and diving into up to say thirteen fifteen meters, and there were just pollock everywhere, and they were Brilliant. they weren't like there was no small pollock, they were all trucks, um, See, and it was that's just so nice to hear because we're yeah. now, off Hallapool, there just wasn't there was there it was you know. And it was very yeah. upsetting, like, yeah. you know, you really believe that you're going to go somewhere like that and it's just going to be a fishy paradise. And there were millions of Pollock, but they were that big. Yeah. yeah. Well, and when you were saying about scallops, I mean, so me and David went out on the first day um, and went to a scallop spot that we were pointed out. And I managed to get, well, me, Davo managed to get 375 mil scallops. They were yeah. plates. They were, so I mean, just massive. Yep, we had the same experience. We were picking 17, 18 centimetre scallops up and it was mind-boggling. Like it was like and the, the meat inside was the biggest <laughs> size of his fist. 146 grams was one of the one of the yeah. one meats. It's like well, burgers, isn't it? It's just yeah. yeah. And, it and I was I was in Sainsbury's worse. yesterday with with uh, Rachel, my partner, and I, in their frozen section, they've got seven pound fifty for like six of the smallest what i wouldn't have even called legal scallops in the freezer section oh, they're, they're, queen, they're queenies those are queens right right different species and um and and they're not they're, they're just not they're just not a patch on the king's scallop i mean yeah you were that's that is to me the treasure of the west coast of scotland is the scallops yeah mm. um, and it's so nice that they they do look after them really well like the key is going places where those big dredgers can't get. Yeah, yeah or or the the commercial divers, because yeah. again, well, that's one thing that is quite big in Scotland is the commercial scallop divers. They're very big, yeah. mm. but you know they've got to earn a living. But they do. I think they they're quite good at like letting them grow on. Like I've, I've met quite a few of those guys, and they're quite they're very careful about what they take and where they take it. You know, they they're but. I, so I've got a Jack Russell who's really annoying me. Shut up! <laughs> <laughs> well, they've also got a, a, um, a considerably lesser uh, limit, a, a daily limit. They've only got the six. And I mean, to be honest, I doubt any of us could have eaten six of the ones we no, bought I mean, anyway. I mean, we went out We went out for two days, three of us. So we could, in theory, have taken, you know, 36 scallops or whatever. But I think we, mm. we, we, we took four or five each and ate a couple and brought three each home or something like that, you know. Yeah, yeah. And, but the fun of it was, I mean, it was all in, you know, 12, 13 metres of water. And it was just snorkelling, looking down at these, looking down at these, you can just see that outline. And when you get your eye in and then thinking, oh, 
can I identify three so I can get them all on one drop? You know, <laughs> yeah, I, you know. yeah. And the visibility is so good up there as well, isn't it? Yeah, it's uh, incredible there. Glorious. So, so what, just just going back a few years, what got you into hunting and then spearfishing? You know, what, what, where's where's your sort of hunting come from? Where's that bloodline come from? I don't know because my my parents don't in any way, shape, or form. My family don't. I'm, I've I've been a little barbarian all my life, and I've, I wanted. To, <laughs> so I st- I got myself into it. I found someone in the local village who ran a little shoot and basically begged this guy to take me out rabbit hunting, pigeon shooting whatever and um he took me under his wing a bit and i and then um when i when i when i bought my first pub um which is um uh it's 18 20 years ago i bought my first pub in the my, it was my local village pub and it was in the middle of nowhere in the middle of a wood and i knew that i wanted the menu to be well, i didn't know what the word sustainable was these those days no one no one did no one used it but I, 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 everyone just used the word local in those days. But mm. I, I knew I wanted it to be genuinely sustainable. I wanted to use wild food from the land. And everyone said, oh, it's ridiculous. No one will come to a pub that serves that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, I had farmers saying, I, I, I remember getting the deer stalking on a big local farm and saying to, uh, they had a massive problem with fallow deer. And I, I said to the farmer, you should come to the restaurant and eat some. And he said, oh, and he looked me in the eye and he went, I don't pay to eat vermin, he said. <laughs> and that was, that, that was the feeling towards deer. You know, they're, they're, to be honest, a lot of places it still is. So I knew then that I wanted to use deer as a primary protein and pigeons and things like that. Um, and so that my whole life's grown since then. I've, you know, started this venison company called Deer Box where, you know, you can go online and we'll send you a box of deer in the post next day delivery all provenanced wild amazing nice. and um and it's it's really good you know it, it works really well and we sell it to restaurants and as i say and i'm still i still actively go and do it and then when i started when i decided i wanted to do fishing the wild this tv show i um i said to the outdoor channel i said what well, i said i don't just want to do a normal fishing show where we fly fish or we rob fish or whatever i said i want to get under the water forage find you know and that means me as a person has got to go on a journey i've got to learn how to do this and and it's a humbling experience particularly when you're older mm. um i mean you're all young and fit and you know young <laughs> and, that uh, <laughs> i wouldn't have said the latter <laughs> you haven't got any gray in your beard look at this so <laughs> so for me it was a really a real thing so and i decided i mean this is what i do in life i make a decision right i'm going to do this so I went online, I bought a bunch of gear from an online store, just winged it and most of it wrong. And, um, and then, uh, how did I, where did I next go? Yeah. So I then, I got in touch with, um, cause I knew I was going to make this TV show. So I got in touch with Joe Pike, who was super lovely and said, yeah, come down, I'll take you out. So he got me the right gear and he, I went out and he spent a day off Sulcombe, really beautiful. And it was in, February or March, mm-hmm. so it's a hell of a way to start. And um, and I had five mil wetsuit on, and actually I don't feel the cold. So five mils all I, if I even in even in seven degree water, if I wear more than five, I sweat like I get too hot. So mm. that was good. But Joe's like that thin, so um, <laughs> yeah, he's he's got like forty mil all over him. And, <laughs> but I tell you what, the guy's amazing. Like he's he's he is a 
he's an underwater he thinks like a fish he's an underwater hunter mm -hmm. he's extraordinarily good at it and he spent the last 12 years like like he'll go out on his own in the winter and just go out for three hours you know yeah but go, go, go in the kelp beds go wherever and so he's a great guy to teach me and a very generous guy and um so I've been out quite a lot of times. I took him to the Azores, as I say. We've been to Scotland. Um, I'm just tomorrow I've got to take my my slightly trashed boat for its winter service, and I'm going to get it retubed, re you know everything. So we've got a real ding dong boat for next year. And next year, I think we're going to go and take the boat and go Portugal, Brittany, you know, oh, wow. um, go to some other areas. I'm going to go. We're going to go to um, Norway next October. And go looking for the big halibut and coalfish and cod and pollock and all that. And nice. Do some wild cooking. and Because to me, it's a journey. It's like mm -hmm. the, the satisfaction of cooking a, a six-pound bass that you've shot. And, and you know, uh, it's just it's so enormous. It's amazing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, just before we uh, we head to a break, um, normally when we we have a guests on that have any affiliation with business or anything, um, we were going to have Kate on uh, last week, but we had to postpone. And she was part of Optical, a a wetsuit lube, a new natural wetsuit lube company, and they sent us over some product, um, not in sponsorship, but just for us to try. I'm just trying to make sure that. Obviously, before we got you on, you didn't send the deer box stuff to Rich because and <laughs> wouldn't have seen a fucking thing of it. Yeah, I'm seeing it. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> lads, I, I ate one already. I'm gonna say, was that conversation kept really bloody quiet because I'm missing my deer box. But before we go to that, to that break, so deer box, how how do people get to it? What and you know what's the, the best deerbox. place? Deerbox.co.uk, and it's super simple. Basically, what we do is we um. We 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 have two full time butchers. We have a full food standards agency uh, approved factory where every deer gets inspected by a government vet, and it's all it's super top end. We supply the Ritz in London. We supply like cool. six Michelin starred restaurants with venison, you know, all that wow. sort of thing. And that's some name uh, dropping, Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> and so, but we also run this retail arm, Deerbox. So you. Let's say you can go on there and think, cool, blimey, I want, and, and we do it by species. So you could go on there and go, oh, you know what? Mike said fallow deer is good. So I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll get some parves, which are these beautiful um, haunch steaks, big fat steaks, like 180, 200 gram steaks off the haunch. They've got no saturated fat. They're full of antioxidants. They're, they're twice as much protein per gram as beef. They're, I mean, it's, it, everything's good about venison. There's no downsides. There's no mm -hmm. cholesterol. So uh, the ideal foods to eat are sea fish and venison. You can't beat mm -hmm. it. And deer box, you go online, you can either pick a pre-made box where we'll send you a mix of 100 quid's worth of venison or whatever you want. Or you can say, I want 10 packs of mince, which best mince you've ever eaten for bolognese or burgers or anything like that. Mm -hmm. You know, and you can cherry pick a French trim rack of fallow deer. You can have a butterfly haunch of Chinese water deer. You can have a you know a saddle of muntjac deer, whatever you like, and it's all Amazing. sustainably harvested in the wild, and then sent to you through the post, and it's tip top. Excellent, and that's deerbox.co.uk or .com. Yep, .co.uk. 
Perfect. Awesome. Right. I need to go and refill my rum and coke. So we'll be back <laughs> in a couple of minutes. And uh, yeah, we'll see you in a sec. Obviously, you being one of the uh, premier game chefs out there, it would be, uh, well, we'd probably get in trouble if we didn't ask you a couple of questions around some recipes, wouldn't we? So <laughs> so if, if you don't mind, do you, what, like, if, let's say mackerel, like, what do you reckon pairs the best with mackerel, best way to cook it? Right. So I've just had for dinner um, uh, Cornish sardines, right, on toast. Nice. A bit posher than that. So, and these were from my fish supplier, but mackerel worked really well, exactly the same. Mm-hmm. So yeah. we butterflied them, filleted them. And what I did was I'll run you through it very quickly because it really is utterly delicious, okay? And any oily fish will do. I made a rough but epic tomato sauce with little cherry plum tomatoes, mutty tomato uh, pulpa, four cloves of garlic, wafer thin sliced, a lake of extra virgin olive oil, shallots, sautéed off the shallots and the garlic, put the sliced, half half the tomatoes, work them quite hard, sea salt, pepper, and then add in the can of tomatoes, more olive oil, work it, work it, work it, season it, add a chilli so it's got a tiny tingle, and then just let that reduce. You've got to get tomatoes to the point where they no longer look watery, where they mm-hmm. look oily, like Mediterranean. Threw in a handful of Mediterranean dried herbs, some oregano, things like that. Done. And then I took um, some sourdough and fried it, slices of it, in hard in, in extra virgin olive oil. So it went really golden and crunchy. And then took a garlic clove and rubbed it on the rough, crunchy edge of that fried bread. And then quite, and then normally, if it wasn't shitting it down with rain outside, excuse my French, <laughs> I would have, I've got a little charcoal barbecue I'd have done them on. Yeah. Or a training a grill. I pan fried them skin side down, hard to get a crust. Flipped them, squeezed some lemon, threw a handful of salt on them. Literally, then I just laid, I just covered the rough sauce onto the crisp sourdough, and then laid those those sardines or mackerel fillets on top. And you carve down through the the mackerel, the tomato, the crunchy garlic toast, and the whole combination is like heaven. Amazing. Wow. Is that like your normal Thursday night meal? Yeah. That's That's epic. Normal Thursday night meal on a Wednesday. (laughs) Oh, is it a Wednesday? Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Ben doesn't even know what day it is. That whole thing took less than 15 minutes to prepare. Delicious. Yeah. No, it's it's amazing what you can do, especially with fresh pod, produce. I yeah. believe, oh, yeah. fresh produce. You know, if you if you've got a contact that can get you fresh mackerel or fresh sardines, to be honest, even if as long as they were freshly <clears throat> caught or not processed, even if they're freshly frozen, oh yeah, by the catcher. Um, I, I I freeze all my fish. Like uh, I'll bring it back if it's if if we get it if I get a few. I managed lucky enough over the summer to probably get a dozen bass together over the course of the summer that we didn't mm-hmm. immediately. And I, um, I, I literally vacuum pack them as soon as I get them. I don't gut them. I, I gill them, leave them whole and round so they don't get freezer burnt on the inside. And I vacuum, double vacuum and get them straight in. Mm-hmm. And when they come out, I then unzip them and they are immaculate every time. Mm-hmm. How do you defrost them? Do you just let Slowly. them do it naturally? Yeah. In yeah. a fridge. In a fridge. Yeah. Oh, so you're really slow then? This that's a restaurant tip. But if you're happy to think ahead, if you need it quick, like the sardines I had tonight, I got in a box of them from the um, from the fish from my fish supplier down in St. Austell in Cornwall. 
and I buy so much fish off them, they deliver to my house on the way to London. <laughs> nice. <laughs> nice. <laughs> um, it's like a little deal. So, <laughs> But literally, they, I got them in and I spent a happy two hours filleting sardines or butterflying sardines. Mm-hmm. And then I lay them out, six, six butterfly fillips to a backpack bag, nice and flat, vacuum, label them. So everything's flat, you know. So then... Tonight, I got them out, dropped them in a sink full of cold water, and they were defrosted in 20 minutes. Mm. That sounds like me earlier on. So tonight we had uh, skate with a beurre noir and crushed herb new potatoes. Um, so that's skate a normal Wednesday night then as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Luckily, I've got a freezer full of obscene amounts of fish, and my <laughs> skate is like one of my favourite. Um, but I was meant to pull the skate out this morning, and it was then half past five this afternoon, this morning, before I then realised, shit, I've got to cook dinner in half an hour. Yeah. Um, and so it was just straight into a sink full of really hot water. The only thing that I find with it is that it partially, nearly cooks the outside. So we, we, yeah, we always say if you're going to use water, run cold water over it. Right. It doesn't actually get it. much slower. Um, but what we'll do in restaurants is a bit wasteful of water. But after this week, I'm not too bothered. With the <laughs> I, in the restaurant, you'll see us if we're defrosting, if we have to defrost something, it'll be in a backpack bag. That's the key, really, to protect it. And then you just run a trickle of cold water over it, and it will defrost quite quickly. But my favourite is to put it on a tray in the fridge and let it do it at its own pace. Yeah. 24 hours, you know. Um, but when I get my fish in, I always do a, a massive processathon, And then, like, you know, flatfish. I love flatfish. Like, I... I mean, a turbot's the king of fish, but to me, a brill is very close. And um, a brill is the queen of fish, if you like. It's my favourite <laughs> fish, pretty much, mm. in the sea. Apart from skate wings, which are my second favourite fish in the sea. Nice. And sardines, which are an equal second. Um, <laughs> so, that sardines are hard to beat. They really yeah. are. Hard to beat. I, I defy anyone to not love them. But um, with the with the, the, the brill, what I do is I always get it in whole. And I, I bat on it, so I don't fillet it. It's it, Those big flatfish, once they get over two kilos, you really don't want to fillet them. You want to be roasting them on the bone. So mm-hmm. you, you get a, a hatchet or a big cleaver, lay it down the center line, get a big stick or a piece of firewood and bat on it, literally pound the cleaver through it, straight down the middle of the spine, and then go 90 degrees to that and take tranches out of it. And so when you look at them, they look like a T-bone. They've got, you know, the rib bone sticking out in a tea. Mm. And I do 170 gram ones of that, 180 gram. And then I freeze those in backpack packs two at a time. And you get two of those brill tea bones out and you stick them in the, in water for an hour, pan fry them. And it's like, you know, wow. <laughs> so using your um, restaurant secrets. So what we were talking, obviously you spoke earlier on about the bass that you got and you froze them down. What's one of your, key like the go-to secret bass recipes because a lot of us as spiros catch bass but yeah we've done loads of things with them but what is yeah. your like go-to i find the bass quite a difficult fish if i'm honest i find it always looks to me a little bit better than it it actually is as a fish like mm-hmm. it's hateful to say because it's such everyone talks about <laughs> sea bass but you know the reality is sea bass what's happened to sea bass is what's happened really to salmon because, because they're so farmed now, people have lost their awe for bass. Like you can buy bass fillets, 10 a penny. Mm-hmm. 
But a, a, a proper speared five or six or eight pound bass is a wonderful thing. But I think, um, honestly, the best way to cook a bass, apart from uh, salt baking it, which is the ultimate way to cook a bass. If you oh, have, yeah. have you have you any so, of you done that? Yeah, yeah, I yeah. have. Yeah, best way I've cooked bass so far. It, We're Spiros. We we know the way of the bass. <laughs> I but I did a big I did a big bass in my Traeger, which is a big electric pellet smoker grill. Nice. Uh, the other day, it's on my Insta. Actually, I did a I did a reel of it, and and I tell you what, I mean, you know the secret with using the salt with the egg whites through it and all that. Yeah, yeah. So I put I put all the herbs, all the chopped rosemary and everything through the egg whites and the salt. So whereas it heats and smokes and infuses, mm. and then stuff the cavity with fennel and fennel particularly is great. That aniseed. Yeah. Here. But um, that was an ex that was exceptional. That was an hour in that smoker, and it was wicked. But if you fillet them properly and you do a good job of it, you pin bone them. One of the biggest keys, really, is even uh, the big bass is to I don't know. Have you ever done the Japanese scaling technique? Is that have where you, you ever slice done? through the yeah. scales rather than trying to peel them off? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Makes a massive difference to a pan-fried fish. Does it? And I would recommend that you guys, particularly spirits, try this. Do it before you gut the fish, <laughs> okay? Because then it hasn't collapsed. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, <clears throat> and it's really simple. You need a rigid, thin, very sharp knife, Japanese-style knife, ideally. And all you do is literally you, you lay that knife completely flat at the tail end, and you just slide it like that underneath the underneath the first layer of scales and it will come off in long strips like that long that wide and work your way around the fish when you scale a fish you're ripping the scale out of its pocket and you're leaving a raised bit when you skin scale a fish you're leaving a completely smooth inner skin surface so when you then um then you dry those fillets exceptionally well so they're bone dry. And then you put them in the pan, skin side down, uh, you know, in foaming butter and oil, ideally. And you <clears throat> you just leave it on a medium heat in that pan for until the, the fish has cooked four-fifths of the way through to the top. And then all you do is flip it for five seconds to finish it off. And mm. you will have skin that you will go, almost like pork crackling, it will go... And the bass will be exquisite. It will taste amazing, and that that that's the best way of doing a a, a beautiful fish like a big bass that you speared is mm. to skin scale nice. it first. It will improve. Go on, um, look up anyone you like on the internet. Look up that technique and watch it. Well, I was watching a video that was only uploaded yesterday from I don't know whether you've ever seen him, but Aaron Young, Key West Waterman in Florida. Um, a very, very, very good, very talented Spiro. Um, obviously right. in the blue waters over there. And he was he was doing it in partnership with a hotel over there, giving away a three-night stay. But they'd <laughs> caught a few um yellowtails mm. out there and they used every single part of the fish. Mm. And the chef, I think, that they were using or, or working in partnership with the hotel Pedro or Piedro, um, he scaled the fish use the skin, turn that into that pork mm -hmm. fish crackling, but then also um, potato, what is it, potato starch covered the scales and did them individually as pennies and then ate them. And it was supposedly they just like disintegrate, but are really like a salt and peppery snack. 
Yeah, so the guy who's who's really driven all of that genre of fish cookery <clears throat> is an Australian chef called Josh Nyland. Mm. And it, he's done a book called Take One Fish or The Whole Fit the Whole Fish. Mm. And the guy's he's a real visionary. Like he's got a fish butchery in in, in Australia and uh and he's got a very famous restaurant called St. Peter Paddo, St. Peter Paddington. And he's a he's amazing. Like, like, like he he's the he's driven the whole dry aging fish thing. Uh and I've tried it. We have dry ages in our restaurants. It does have an amazing effect on fish. Yeah, like it's, you can do it in a fridge, right? As well, you don't need yeah. expensive equipment. We do no, ours just do as, just some like you know paper towels <laughs> in a Tupperware if you want to keep the missus happy. And, and, <laughs> the best and thing, it's fine. The best thing you can do is hang them by their tail. Is hang them yeah. in the bar. I wish I had a bigger fridge for it or yeah. a second fridge. <laughs> We've, I've got one. I've got one here in our little in our little cookery yeah. yeah thing here. And uh, yeah, it, it really does work well. Like I've hung some bass in here. I. Uh, you you have to skin scale them first, and then you hang them oh, and okay. uh, remove their gills, yeah. um, so they don't rot. And then they will in, in a really good professional fridge. Like I've got a precision fridge here, which is amazing, and it they will keep they, they they'll just get better for ten twelve days. Wow. I was going to say a lot of the guys that they're, they're dry aging. They normally dry age for sort of ten days. Let that yeah. rigor properly set in and get all the moisture out of the flesh. Um, but then a lot of them that I've seen on on YouTube is. They'll they'll then salt cure the fish, yeah, and then put it back for another twenty four hours, and then serve it the day after. So it's it's like it's a ten day dry age, then a salt age for twenty four hours, yeah. and then serve it as like sashimi or anything else. And it's supposedly meant to be amazing, but I don't have a walk in fridge. I'm going to have to explain <laughs> that to my missus. Well, you don't need say, but if you've got a yeah. garage or an outbuilding. You can always go and buy a. Um, you can always go and buy like a small secondhand commercial fridge. They, they're worth nothing, mm-hmm. you know. And um, and you can do it if you want to. You know, they are. They, they, they it is a fascinating thing to do. What, um, the, it, what does the hanging do? Like just thinking it through. Is it like draining the you, blood from the inside of the bone? Just or? like with a deer or a or anything in an abattoir. Yeah. Once you've killed it, you wouldn't lie it on its side to uh on the floor it makes sense because it feels right but i don't know like what is it actually doing gravity so Mm. you take a bass and you put it on a tray in your fridge yeah one side is being squashed and compressed and flattened yeah yeah yeah. uh, the 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 skin on that bottom side is not drying out because it's in contact with something hard or it's wrapped you let something hang vertically open everything is consistent one side is not denser than the other, and it's consistency. The magic word in our industry is yeah. consistent. Yeah, yeah, mm. makes a lot of sense. Cool. We've got another another mm. um, favorite recipe. We've got a load yeah. of pollock in our fridge from Sky. Um, One of my favorite fish. Yep. <laughs> I've still got loads. <laughs> We've got quite a lot of pollock. <laughs> um, what what would you do with a, a pollock? Look, I I think pollock are amazing. Like mm. I am. Um, we did we we uh we cold smoked a bunch of pollock up in Scotland, which was amazing. So we 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 cold smoked them and then used them use them in like um in like a fish soup in like a bouillabaisse. base. Oh, nice. um, because pollock normally is very flaky and everything, but if you if you brine it, so if you um if you fillet them, pin bone them, leave the skin on, mm-hmm. and then lay them lay uh 
I use a, a like a 60-40 mix of salt and sugar. So I use 60 salt, 40 sugar. Like let's say you do, you'd make up a mix, do it like, you know, do it in a kilo, do, uh, you know, or 600 grams of one and 400 grams of the other. Mm-hmm. And then lay a thin layer down on the on the tray, sit your pollock on it, your, your fillets on it, and cover the, the raw, the, the cut side with, completely cover it, put something over it, put it in the fridge, leave it for six hours. And after six hours, all that salt and sugar will have dissolved. The cellular structure of the fish will have been broken open by the salt and the sugar. Sugar works exactly the same as salt, by the way. They're both um, they're both hydrophilic. They both attack, uh, attract moisture. So they they burst the cells and suck suck out the, the water, and that's how they cure things. Yeah, and they're antibacterial. So you do that for six or seven hours. You don't want it to go too far. Then you wash it off. Pat it dry, really dry, and then, and then uh, I cold smoke it. I've got an ancient fridge that I got that was going to be junked, a metal one, for nothing. Drilled, ripped off all the compressors and crap. Drilled some holes in the bottom. Drilled some holes in the top. Put a bar across it, and then I have a and one of those little frames you can buy on Amazon mm-hmm. that's like a, a a maze. Fill it with smoke powder. Eighteen hours of smoke, and I I I, I cold smoke them. I cold smoke. 12 fillets pollock at a time and then it's cured it's like a smoked haddock it's it's amazing it's just as good as smoked haddock yeah, i've got to try that amazing. you do yeah. it's so easy and then yeah, you I can s- it and freeze it yeah amazing i actually smoked a whole load of mullet um so brined Brilliant. it yeah mm. brined it and then uh, cajun seasoned it and then hot smoked okay. it and hot smoked honest- it, all right. yeah, yeah honestly that was literally by far the best mullet i've ever had yeah, mullet, sure. are, mullet are massively underrated, particularly, particularly when they're not when they're like sea mullet, not 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 yeah. overly estuarine. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, um, definitely. I've had yeah, some they're, they're, they're fantastic. fantastic. I mean, they absorb all the flavour, don't they? Of everything you put onto them as well. I mean, so, I think pollock when you've brined and dry brined and cold smoked them are freaking phenomenal. Like they're amazing. Like you can do yeah. anything with them. You could then pound them up and make them into a brondard, like a classic like mashed up like you know you make croquettes out of them like they do in portugal or spain you can uh, i up in scotland i i I got a bunch of squat lobsters do you know you know squatties yeah Yeah. fishermen will give them to you like they don't know what to do with them and i paid 20 quid for 20 kilos so it's far too much (laughs) yeah and literally but they are the they're impossible to pick down but as a base for like a like a lobster spaghetti fish stew type mm-hmm. fish soup. They're like nothing on earth. Mm. And we cooked them all up with fennel and tomatoes and white wine and garlic and onions and chili. And then literally found an old cricket bat and just pounded the, the mix <laughs> yeah. for 20 minutes and until they were crushed and then shoved them through a sieve, reduced it right down. And then we took all the fish that we'd speared that day. We took this, the, the, the pollock that we cured and smoked uh, we t- took some rasps. We took some, um, it was a cold fish, big fat scallop each, you know, whatever, all the bits and nice. cockles that we dug because there are millions of them. <laughs> and I made like a, a buoy base with it. And uh, But the, the the star of that buoy base was the, the salted pollock, the smoked mm-hmm. pollock. It was extraordinary because unlike pollock normally, which just disintegrates into flakes when it goes in any sort of liquid, yeah. because it had been cured and salted, it held together. And it was meaty and it, it kind of just absorbed all that flavor of tomato and fennel and squat lobster and garlic and olive oil and stuff. 
damn no. good. So, you, and one of the words that you just said there is one of my favorite crustaceans, lobster. Um, yep. Sort of similar to where you were saying about the boya base. What would you say is, like, say, your your go to recipe for a bisque, a lobster bisque? The best thing about a lobster is its shell. I've got to yeah. say, I mean, you know, all mm. the flavors in the shell. Like, I, I often, I, I love lobster. Like, I love it. But the bit I really love is the shell because I love it. Same thing, you know, it's a simple, basic recipe. Any of these things, crab, same thing. Once you've briefly boiled the spider crabs, I mean, easiest thing for all of us to get in May, you know, spider yeah. crab by the million. You know, if you can't find any males, take two or three females and turn them into beasts because, you know, you just pound those claws up and, and roast them in a pan with olive oil and then do garlic and fennel and onion. And the key hurt, the key is saffron. You've got to be willing to invest in real saffron. Mm. So the only the only thing that I found with spiders was that, and I love I love uni I love the umami flavor, but I found with spiders it was really umami. I had that real seaweed taste when I tried it, and it was just sort of it was a little bit unnerving. I love lobster, I love crab, and I love spider crab just cooked whole. But when I tried to do the, the, the bisque with the spider crab, it, it was like, holy shit, that's strong. After you cooked it, did it start to taste and smell a bit sicky, you know, a little bit like, because that often people say, mm. so there, there's a thing, right? And this is a chefy thing. Any of these shellfish, when you make a bisque, if you boil or simmer the shell for more than about 20 minutes, it takes, it, it gets really too strong. You get this, and I can smell it instantly if a chef of mine's making a beast and he's let those, he or she has let those shells go for two or three minutes too long. You'll start to smell this really uh, strong. It's almost sick. Maybe that was it. There is a magic uh, number of it, 20 minutes. You, 20 minutes. You set, a, set a timer. When you, when you, as soon as the liquids are all in and it's simmering, 20 minutes. Because 20, 20 minutes, minutes from will boil. extract all the flavor from the shells. Cool. Then you crush it, take it off the heat. And pass it. And after that, you can cook it down as far as you want. 20 minutes. I'm definitely going to try that again next year because, yeah, I think I, I really cocked it up this year. I think it was about 45 <laughs> minutes. So. That, that would do it, really. Yeah, that was probably it. That's what you're talking about. <laughs> awesome. So, yeah, so just jumping back a little bit then to, um, to, to the TV shows. So is Joe Pike going to be a regular attending all the shows with yeah. you then? Or? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's in. Uh, he's in fishing. He's one of the. He's one of our team in fishing the wild, and yeah, uh, so he's like really. He's very good on TV. He's very natural, gentle. Um, loves 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 the underwater realm. He's he's got a real keen sort of conservationist head on him, mm, yeah. and, and he's he's mad too. The guy's an absolute nutter. Like. <laughs> Like he's a gentle nutter, like back in a minute. And, you know, you think he's dead. He's got to be dead, you know, and then I can fish like this. Um, but he's an extraordinary guy and very nice, very kind. Um, and, you know, one day I, I like to think he'll have his own show. I think uh, he's a good, he's, he's, he's good at it. And I think it's a massively, as a TV producer, which is kind of one of my roles, I see this as a very, as very much, a very coming uh, thing is people wanting to go and learn and forage from the undersea world because it's yeah. a very low impact thing that we do. It's not, you know, the, the, the sum total of what Spiros in Britain take from the seas 
is probably less than one fishing boat takes in in two days, mm. you know, off the south coast of England. So, you know, it, 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 we're very low impact. Yeah. And that's a good message, you know. So, and this is a guy who genuinely feeds his whole family from the sea, like literally. It's hand to mouth. Yeah. I spent a lot of time in his house. So he's an amazing guy. That was one of the things when I first met Joe. Um, it was nearly at the end of last year. I was, I was going to the store down in Plymouth. And um, I watched his nearly all of his YouTube videos, fell in mm. love with the guy. But one of the things that I had a sort of a bugbear with was his line of caught this fish for the table for the family. And it's just, it, it seemed at the time as though it was this, not necessarily lefty, but like this uh, sustainability drive of, you know, I'm eco-friendly. Now that I've been a Spiro for a year, I'm saying that myself when I take fish yeah. home and actually yeah. just having that pride in what you've caught and the skills that you've learned to be able to do that. Because I would say spear fishing and spearos that Christ, I wouldn't even want to put a percentage on how many there are, but it's such a small sport it's and tiny. small hobby, especially yeah. in the UK. There's a few thousand, I think. And, but I see that as growing very fast because you know, it's 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 accessible. You can do it. It it, it contains large amounts of adventure. It, mm. It's great exercise. I mean, it's like no other exercise, to be honest with you. You mm. know, you spend an entire day out. I mean, I spent a day out at the Eddie Stone Lighthouse, and that, that nearly killed me. You know, it nearly broke me. <laughs> the currents, the tides, the constant dive. diving. It's a good fun dive. You know, yeah. trying to find the right fish to shoot. You know, it, it's exciting and. But the currents are like mind-boggling, and um, mm. and and you're diving to 12, 15, 16 meters repeatedly, mm. and uh, you know, and and but all around the British coast. I mean, when you then go to somewhere warm and sunny and tranquil without big tides and savage currents, you realise it's a lot easier. I mean, I was I found diving 13, 14 meters off the west coast of Scotland uh, where there was no current. And it was crystal clear and I could see scallops from the surface. I don't know why, but I found that much easier than diving eight meters into kelp off Sulcan mm -hmm. on a crappy day in October. You know what I mean? And that's yeah. what a lot of people say about diving Europe and, and the Americas is that, the, the you know, in Australia, they're diving 30 meters, but they're diving in 60 meters viz in 26 yeah. degree water <laughs> with, with, a, with a skin suit. It's, yeah. you know, whereas in the UK, like you were saying, you dive in that February, it's in seven degrees, your breath holds 30 seconds, you dive in three metres and you're going, fuck, I'm going to die. Yeah, <laughs> it's yeah. it's yeah, a different a kettle of fish. Yeah, it is. <laughs> and, and and I think that's, I think Britain is an amazing place to learn to do it because I think if you can do it well here, you can probably do it well literally anywhere. Mm. And even though it's yeah. shallow, you are dropped in the deep end, yeah, pun intended. <laughs> The, the, the currents are really what does it like it's 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 tough i mean it's tough it's really tough well and how many times have you been to the eddystone three three Four. so you, you and what i found with the eddystone i don't know whether you found the same is that when the first time you go especially after i'd watched all of my youtubes i was trying to fight the current watch trying to stay in the same place to try and do what i would have thought was hunting stay in one spot yeah try and get down and then you soon realize actually no it's more a case of it's a hunt as soon as yeah. you're off that boat you're doing your breathe up you're diving and if you don't hit start again 
Yeah, you drift. I mean, we were doing, we often go there with two boats and do a drift from one to the other. You know, we'll have, or someone will drop you and then move 150 yards, 200 yards, because you'll, you'll be there in a second. Yeah. And you don't yeah. think you've gone anywhere. You've done two or three dives. If you, if you've, and the other thing is, you know, you're trying to find a good fish. There's, there's a lot of fish there, but mm. you know, you're looking at them, you're going, nee, 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 and then up you go, and then you go down again. And it's, I like, I like, if I go out there, I like going around the actual, into the kelp around the actual pinnacles mm. and away from the big shoals because actually you get some lovely fish hiding in the kelp and whatnot. But, mm. you know, they get, they get hammered by the um, commercial rod fishermen out there who are there all the time. And so they're wily fish as well. They're not, you know, you've got to find the right ones. I mean, mm. you can go there and get two in 20 minutes if you want to shoot four pound bass. But, you know, if you want to try and get something more significant, you've got to you've got to work for it. Mm. What's um, been your best fish to date, Mike, would you say? Oh, uh, in Britain? Oh, yeah. about, a bass of about six pounds. No, yeah, yeah. Nothing. Um, and I was over the moon with that. Like, I, I haven't shot all that many fish. I mean, I'm learning, you know, yeah, yeah. and um, I, I like the... Uh, but what I'm trying to do is being slightly obsessive by nature is I'm really trying to get better at, um, at being Zen in the underwater environment. I'm trying to get better at the calmness side of it. And the, yeah, the, it's, the it's hard. It's um, like you say, the, the currents and everything else that's going on, the thought of, you know, what yeah. could happen to me if I run out of breath, you've got all the contractions yeah. going on. Yeah. It's, it's, it's really hard. Just going back to your, your current thing. I watched a really cool video. I thought I'd point out on the podcast tonight. Um, by Askel Orstevik. Um, he's right. up in Norway, um, and it was spearfishing in Norwegian tidal current. They're hunting cod and pollock and stuff like that. Like that current is crazy. Like <laughs> like nothing I've, I've I've ever seen. He's shooting off at you know a million miles an hour. So when you go up to Norway, perhaps um, hit that guy up. He's got some interesting. Well, you stories. know what? We're, we're we're just about to start planning it because it's a year away, and yeah. um, and I'm going to go for two four weeks, and we're going to go and do. And I want to go to all those crazy places. I want yeah. to go to the Northern Islands. I want to go, you know, and I know lots of chefs in that neck of the world. So we're going to look at taking what we get and cooking with them, or even maybe taking some Norwegian chefs out who haven't done it before and, you know, dip their toe in the water. And Brilliant. I mean, uh, yeah, that's cool. We all dream of shooting a 50 pound halibut, you know. Um, I was going to say, what about some UK Spiros that haven't been to Norway before? Maybe you should take one of them out. <laughs> yeah, bring us my, hand, my hands up. <laughs> Maybe we should. Yeah, yeah definitely. I, I reckon Norway is probably <laughs> top of my list. I think yours is uh, top of your list, Rich, but Norway for me. Oh, yeah, uh, yeah. Nothing like it. I, I can't wait to- I can't wait to get out to the uh, Princess Alice Banks, like the Azores. Oh, that, so that's where Joe got his, um, his Amberjack, and it was... It's yeah. a crazy place. Princess Alice is a crazy place. I mean, it's three and a half hours on a boat. Yeah. And then you've got hundreds of recreational boats there with bubble heads. <laughs> you <know? laughs> and you've got, and you've got, but they all disappear at about two in the afternoon. Yeah. And then you sit around and you wait. And there's usually one or two boats with a couple of spiros there. And, um, and then the fun begins because you can, you can flashes, you can bring big Wahoo up there. Um, but if, I'm probably going to go back there next year, but if I go next year, I'm going to go. I'm probably going to go in September, and I might not film it. I might just go for fun, yep. and, and I want to go there for a week in September. And um, and the guys we went there with, amazing, like uh, Pedro DBM Azores, um, 
he's that guy knows every fish in that place like he knows to the yard where they are like mm -hmm. it's yeah if you can get a gang together it's super worthwhile but i want to go there now when the tuna are running because i would like to jump in on a bait ball and get a tuna that would be my big call yeah definitely we got nice. some uh quick fire questions uh We've only mm -hmm. got a few minutes left on the on the recording, so we'll, we'll shoot them your way if you don't mind. So the first bit we like to ask all our guests is, what's the one piece of spearfishing equipment that you couldn't live without? Um, keepers, that's a good question. What what really really helps? Um, my boat, if I'm honest. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that that has made all the difference. Is yeah, my crappy old rib, which is really made all the difference like it, it really really has um I, I tell you what i also learned was that having a having a um having a really good mask that that fits you like when i first did it i just bought went online and bought one and i was yeah. forever vaseline in. and then i spent an hour in the shop with joe and i found one that really fitted me that that was a game changer no leaks no fog you know comfortable yeah nice. good Next one, boys, Ben. Oh, yeah, I can ask a question. Um, if money was no object, what would you like to buy for spearfishing other than a boat? A better boat. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's what everybody says. You can't, you can't we're gonna ban that answer. Okay, you ban the boat. That's fine. I get that. How about a new engine? Um, <laughs> okay, what I would I like if I a piece of equipment, right? Yeah. Like a, a particular gun or like, you know, special. So I'd place. like to get, I'd like to get, I'd like to get a custom made wooden proper carved spear gun, like yeah. something that, something that's big enough for blue water stuff. Like the, the, because I, what really drove home when I went to the Azores was that our little coastal guns just don't cut the mustard on these, these things. Like mm. you, know, you can kill it with them, but yeah, you know, I'd like a, I'd like a, like a proper four band, um, sexy 1.25 meter wooden <laughs> uh gun that really can do the business on the big stuff is that what the guys out there were using when you were out there absolutely they laughed yeah. at us when we turned up with our <laughs> <laughs> still brought in the in the goods nice so if you and go it's... out there if you go out to the azores take a big gun yeah really take a big gun yeah nice that's the thing the fish seem a lot closer than they actually are out there, especially yeah, with the fish. Right. Um, and my quick fire question, because we've only got literally three minutes. Um, you you have I've got multiple questions, they're quick answers, and you're only allowed two words, and these are gonna be herbs to use with ingredients. Okay. So what herb pairings would you use with the following? Pheasant. Tarragon. Anything else? Garlic. <laughs> Tarragon and garlic. Venison. Oh, thyme and, and black pepper. Chicken. Ooh. Throw it in the bin. <laughs> I, love I really rosemary, rosemary every time. Rosemary, oh. garlic, and olive oil. Simple. Pork. Pork, sage, mustard. Tomatoes. Oh, I can do that um, again. Garlic, olive oil. Uh, again, I like rosemary, if I'm honest, with tomatoes. But... I'm surprised you didn't say mozzarella. <laughs> That's not a herb. 
as far as I know. Oh shit! Of course. Yeah. Sorry, I don't even know my own questions. Sorry, I'm an I'm an idiot. Uh, <laughs> potato. Potato. Oh, love it. Right. Potato. A bit of spice. Paprika. Um, paprika, thyme. Mm, paprika, thyme, salt, and pepper. Keep it simple. Final Must. one. Eggs. I'm picturing. I'm picturing. By the way, crispy saute fried potatoes. They're all crunchy. Yeah. Paprika. Or paprika new potatoes, uh, sweet potatoes. Absolutely. Love it. Yeah. Eggs, did you say? Final one, eggs. Eggs. Well, of course, there's a lot of different preparation of eggs. If I'm scrambling an egg, I think a finely a finely chopped chive is hard to beat. Mm. Um if I'm if I'm if I'm doing like if I'm doing an omelette, then Italian parsley, flat parsley and parmesan, impossible to beat. Yeah. Um those two work. Like chives scrambled, omelette with parsley. Can't beat it. Delicious. Amazing. Awesome. I'm I'm oh. drooling now. I'm gonna have yeah. to go and wipe my chin. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, well. just, we've got one last question for you, Mike. What's if obviously you're gonna be traveling the world doing your TV show, but what's the one dream spearfishing destination you've got in mind that you really want to get to? I've been looking at loads. I'd like to go. I'd really like so my mate Dan Dan Mann to, um, on the phone to him the other night. He's just come back from New Zealand. He yeah. said it's mind-boggling. Like he said, it's I mean, being an Aussie, you know, he said Aussie now, Australia now. He said the shark numbers are so high, it's really hard to. Yeah, yeah. But he said New Zealand's spectacular, like mind-boggling. I think Amazing. if I could go anywhere in the world, though, I'd like to go to Ascension Island and go for those big bluefin tuna. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. Nice. Mike, really appreciate you coming on. Thank you yeah, so much. Thank you. Lovely Keep to talk to you. Keep up the good work. Fantastic <laughs> to you meet so you. And uh, although, although we know that you're friends with a celeb now, that you've both got your own boats, we've now got our own little boat, and you're more than welcome to come <laughs> and join us. It can in take why four... we, um, In all seriousness, I would love to have you guys on one of our shows next year. Come and come, come, the three of you come and be in a an episode of Fishing the Wild, and we'll go and do it. We'll sounds go and do amazing. it. Right, sounds like, awesome, man. It sounds like a date. We'll speak to you after. Perfect. <laughs> Thank you very well, much, cheers, Mike. Mike. Cheers, Mike. Speak cheers. to you soon. Yeah, bye. Well, that was an awesome episode, man. Yeah, amazing. So much knowledge. I love it when we get people on and they just bursting at the seams with like ideas, and you're like, oh, I'm gonna have to listen back to this like three times to try and take it all in again. <laughs> I'm still mopping up all of the drool from my <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> short beard that I've been growing recently. It's currently covered in saliva. And I'm still geeking out and starstruck. Yeah, yeah that's cool. Guy's an absolute knowledge legend. Um, and yeah, I was very talking, much. I, I, I know, the, I know, I know what you mean yeah. though. I know what you mean though when you when you say about like listening to the episodes back. Um, some of the episodes I've listened to them like twenty times. Yeah. <laughs> it's pr it's probably all those six and a half thousand downloads is probably just me listening. You, you just love the, the Sally Graham voice, right? <laughs> Pump yes, the numbers. Pump the numbers. <laughs> <laughs> no but like <laughs> seriously the david um the david mellow one i re-listened to about three times now yeah. and i'm just like yeah. there's just so much to absorb in that episode so i think i think and obviously because of the fact that we're part of the episode i don't i've got a pretty good memory for things that happened quite recently so i don't ever re-listen to the episodes that we ever record even though you guys tell me to but because the other <laughs> week i wasn't in the episode at all 
I listened to the recording before it had even been uploaded. Yeah. So I listened yeah, yeah, yeah. to David yeah. um, that night and the knowledge and the information that was in there was just, yeah, amazing. I'm so gutted that we so didn't good. get up to get to, to Vobster. Thanks, uh, we, we will do, mate. I'm sorry. <sighs> Not letting you down. Playing Southwest Water letting... for that one. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, um, yeah, yeah, no, Christ. When we, again, when we get up there, even when we get out with Mike, we've just got masses to look forward to. Um, There's going to yeah. be a lot going on next year, right? That's for sure. No, that We're such fucking noobs. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> but, hey, look, look no. the year, year's not over. The, the competition's over, but um, we've still got well, a few I was gonna say, we still, left of the bad season. We still got to go up and... with... Uh... With yeah. Sam Seeley, we've still got to go out with him, haven't we? Yeah, I went yeah. out. With, did, I don't know if I did. I mention I went out with Sam the, the, the other day. Um, no, oh, here we go. <laughs> uh, no, he, 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 he um, I, I did catch a lobster. That that was the the last my last points in the in the competition was that. Four, oh four, yeah, four points yeah. With lobster. With, uh... Yeah, yeah. I went went down with 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 Tony and Sam. Yeah. I had a really nice time down Tony as well. Yeah, in Cornwall and um, yeah, nice. Sam. Yeah, I know we, we had him on, didn't we? Episode three or something. But Sam's got a lot of knowledge there. Yeah, really looking forward to um to, to getting out with him in it. In it you know, with you guys, I mean, really good fun. I didn't even know you went out with him. It's not even fair. I didn't even get an invite. <laughs> not even a back of the cuff. <laughs> we may be thinking about going out. Just fucking nothing. That's not true. <laughs> Where was the invite? I'm always fucking texting. Excuse my friend. I'm going to cut that out because I found out my auntie's listening the other day. You found out what? My auntie's listening to this podcast. She, she's got What's no interest in spearfishing whatsoever. What's your aunt's name? Aunt Adele. Adele? Adele, yeah. Hi, Adele. I wouldn't be surprised if it is the Adele. <laughs> yeah. all this Hello. Up. It's me. <laughs> I've been trying to take you spear fishing, but the weather's been <laughs> shit. <laughs> Hi, Adele. Anyway, yeah. Well, I'm still, yeah, starstruck. I'm very much looking forward to getting out with everybody. Um, Sam, I think, is probably going to be our first person to get out with this mm-hmm. winter. Um, learn his lobster and crab techniques. And then we need to get into David early in the year if he's not in Egypt. Um, at Vobster once it starts not being frozen because yeah, Vobster we, now we might have to wait till about April time for that that's the thing that amazes me with Vobster and obviously standing water is how fast it goes so cold yeah. and then how late it takes to warm up it's not like the sea obviously at all it's just amazing but yeah no, it was a, so what we got on next week have we got anything on next week We've got cats from Octacle on next week because um, unfortunately Sweet. we had to postpone. But yeah, so we'll be doing a, an episode with her next week. Awesome. Yeah, All man. Right. I'm still yet to receive my Octacle. Where's my yeah? Where's my stuff of Octacle? Rich has got it. Oh, you got it from yeah. Tom. I've got. It. I haven't seen it yet. Oh right. Uh, no, I still I still haven't had. A, so the only attempt with Octacle I've had was in Scotland. I'm still yet to actually try it properly. Um, so oh, yeah, I've, yeah. Got, I've got I've got all your stuff here, man. I haven't seen you since then. No, no, no. Fair enough. No, we'll uh, we'll have to arrange a dive once this weather comes out, and um, yeah, bring the optical along, and it'll be good to actually try it. Yeah, definitely, mate. We'll get the boat out when we get a bit of a flat calm period, and then uh, yeah, go smash a big winter pollock. Yeah, 
Fingers Sweet. crossed. Can't Anything wait. else going in the uh, personal lives outside of spearfishing? Marriages, divorces. <laughs> no, I'm not. Well, now I'm not getting divorced because the competitions are over. <laughs> <laughs> same, same. Yeah, things are a lot better in the Dunford household since I'm not going diving three nights. <laughs> it's weird. My missus said that, that she didn't realise there was a fourth member of the family. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, well, I'm back now, so I get to do the dishes again. <laughs> awesome. Well, cheers, lads. It's been yeah. an awesome episode. I can't wait to go out with Mike and uh, everybody else. Yeah, definitely. See nice. you guys. See you next week. Speak to you soon. Cheers. Cheers.